So good to be here. For those of you who don't know, my name is Eric Henderson. Uh, I'm one of the elders here on staff, also a part of our teaching team here. So that's kind of a new development uh, here in the last, I guess, a little less than a year or so. So um, it's, it's been a fun experience, challenge, challenging experience, and um, just growing a lot. So uh, just really excited to be with you guys and uh, just love these opportunities. So um, as you guys know, we've been in Ephesians 5. And we have been going through um, just these different things that Paul is talking about with the people of Ephesus. And so in the very beginning of chapter 5, it starts off in verse 1 with, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So whenever you see a therefore, we always have to ask ourselves that question, what's it there for? You know, not to be, not to be cheesy, but, um, but there's always something beforehand that this next sentence is in light of. So being imitators of God as beloved children is in light of what happened in chapter 4. And so you had a group of people that were still trying to figure out what it looked like um, to walk after God. And they had just started to realize that God really loved them and that there was this really deep, uh, passionate love that their father had for them. And so they got to this place where like, okay, Paul, so then what are we supposed to do with that? And so Paul kind of lays out, here's what the new life looks like for you. So in light of their new life, he's saying, therefore, be an imitator of your father as a child who is deeply loved. So in light of their new life, we have a response, um, or sorry, in light of their new life, they respond to God's love as stated before in chapter four. Um, so they have this new knowledge, and we are to live as imitators of our creator, of our father, one who mocks and follows the actions of another, but specifically as a child, but not just any child, but also as a beloved child walking in love just like our friend Jesus walked in love, as we see there in verse 2. Then we get to this section of Scripture that kind of sums up uh, actions and thoughts uh, that, that would not imitate God, and we've kind of gone over that the last two or three weeks. So there's these different things that are taking place, and you look at those and you'd say, okay, if uh, these are the ways of God, these would probably be the ways that are not of God. And then from there, that moves us to this place of understanding that we all at one point or time in our lives, we may have participated in those activities or those thought processes that may have separated us from the Father, and, and in that we were not imitating our Creator or our Father. And in those things, they may have led us to some, some really dark places, uh, maybe broken relationships, uh, maybe some self-loathing, maybe even lead us down a spiral of depression in all these ways that are separating us from our Creator. And so, but we get to see then moving into verse 11, that if we choose to have nothing to do with those things that don't imitate the Father, and if we choose to expose them and we shine light, then he promises that we will find wokeness in life. 
So in order to, and, and what that does is that actually moves us towards becoming a child versus the other behaviors it says earlier in Ephesians 5, that that would not be the behavior of a child. And so as someone who loves their father being an imitator, we shine light on those things and then we have nothing to do with them. But, so, but when you see that part exposed, I think for me initially that causes a little bit of discomfort because like, what does that mean? So then do I stand up here today and just say, okay, guys, I'm just going to expose it. Like, here we go. Like, just strap it in and I'm just going to tell you everything. But I think what that really looks like is it might be a trusted friend, someone who you respect. Um, it, it could be a coworker, a mentor, uh, maybe someone here um, at the church who you get along with or your spouse or, um, you know, someone who you grew up with, maybe a parent. Whatever that looks like, just being able to have a moment of vulnerability and honesty where you're able to say this is what's going on in the deepest, darkest places of my heart, the things that I try to hide from, and I need to shine light on that because when they're hiding in darkness, it stays in darkness, and it's kind of hard to see if you've ever tried to walk around in a dark room. It's a bit hard to see and find what it is that you need to find. And so when we shine light on it, then we're able to find freedom and able to find connection back with what we were created for. So how exactly do we become a child of light, as stated in, in, uh, in verse 14? So Ephesians 5, 15 and 17, that's kind of where we're going to um, post up a little bit. But verse 15 says that if you, to become a child of light, we have to look carefully then how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Looking carefully how we walk makes the best use of your time, as stated by verse 16. And why does that make the best use of our time? Because the days are evil. And because the days are evil, verse 17 says, don't be foolish, but instead understand what the will of the Lord is. So you have an option there. Because the days are evil, you can either be foolish or you can instead understand the will of the Lord. Those are the options. So now that we all know this, we understand, understanding the will of the Lord is, is, uh, is how you win. So I think uh, we all got it figured out now, right? So you guys are good? All right. Well, we'll call the band back up and we'll go ahead. And, uh. So, but it's... But really, that's really the question that we're all trying to figure out is what are we here for and what's our purpose and what is the will of the Lord? I think that's kind of the million-dollar question, and that's the thing that even within myself, you know, you always find this place of wrestling. Okay, God, what is your will? What does that mean for me? And how do I find my purpose within that? So if I was created to be an imitator of God, then wouldn't knowing his will give me insight into what I'm supposed to be imitating? If I knew what I was imitating... I could figure out what the heck I'm supposed to do on a daily basis. So verses 18 through 21 in chapter 5 says, Don't be drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. Encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to serve, or other versions say submit, to each other out of respect for Christ. So if we take a look at that, I think we can really draw out, so what is the will of the Lord? There's four things from those four verses. In verse 18, his will is for you to be filled with his spirit. He wants to encounter you in the most intimate place, and he wants to take that piece of himself, and he wants to place it inside of you so that he can help you learn the rhythms of how he does things, of how he thinks, of how he talks, of how he would interact with his other children here on earth. And so he 
His will is to give you his spirit so that you will understand those ways. What we see in verse 19 is that we are to encourage others with our gifts. So he says, encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Also his will, number three, in verse 20, be grateful. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So out of a place of gratitude, we can fulfill the will of the Lord. And then in verse 21, be willing to serve others or be willing to submit to others. I think that's one of those words sometimes that can cause some friction of what it means to submit. And after we get done with the Easter, Dan will actually jump into that and, and kind of dig into that. And so that'll be a pretty fascinating. Um, but really, but, so we can break down those four things. So God's will is to fill us with the spirit, encourage others with our gifts, be grateful, be willing to serve others. But you can kind of split that into even like two things. So there's acts of receiving and then there's acts of giving. So what we see in verse 18, act of receiving, he meets you to fill you with his spirit. So you receive of him. And then also um, in verse 20, gratitude. So we're receiving the goodness of the Father. And then out of that place, we live out of the good that God has produced in our life. And we're grateful and thankful for those things. So those are both acts of receiving. But then there's acts of giving in verse 19 and verse 21. Using gifts of praise to encourage others. And also submission or willingness to serve others. So we're receiving and we're giving. And that is the will of the Father. So then, in light of that, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to give and to, is, is to give in respect to what we have received. To give in respect to what we have received. And also to submit your gifts, your strengths, your skills to those in need of what you have to offer. So just like our creator, just like our heavenly father does, when you give your life away, you imitate the father as dearly beloved children, someone who adores and looks up to their parent and wants to mimic their ways. Because our father gives, we give. God only crafted you, and there is only one of you. There will never be another one of you. And what you have to offer to the world is so unique. And you were so uniquely designed to provide the world with only the gifts that you have. So there may be someone out there who has similar skill set to you, but no one can do it like you can. No one can put the flair on it that you can put on it. No one thinks about things the same way that you think about them. And that's what makes you so unique is that you have a certain skill set that makes you so special not only in God's eyes, but it also makes you special to the world and to the people around you because you have something inside of you that no one else has. We need you. We all need each other because we all have something that the other person next to us does not have. And so we have to be faithful with that. So you might be thinking, okay, Eric, so if I'm an imitator of God and I'm supposed to serve others, I thought that I was supposed to serve God. Well, what does that look like? Well, actually, God doesn't need us to serve him. So let's take a look at Acts 17. Verses 24 and 25, it says, The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. I think that's like so beautiful for me um, because I feel like I'm always looking for ways to serve God. And he actually says, he says, uh, he's actually not served by human hands. And not only that, he doesn't need anything from me. And then not only that, he gives himself 
to all people, and he gives all people all things. And that's just such a freeing thought for me to realize that I actually don't have to, to try and serve God. And, and, it's, and I wrestle with this place of like it feels prideful to say that God is actually here to serve me. But he says he actually gives himself to all people. And so the Lord is giving to us. He's serving us. You know, and you think about Jesus when he washed his disciples' feet. Peter said, surely, Lord, like, you can't wash my feet. Like, I, I'm not worthy of that. And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet or you can't be with me. You have to let me serve you. That's what I came here to do. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, follow my example. Even the Son of Man did not come for people to serve him. He came to serve others and to give his life to save many. He says, follow my example. I came to serve others, not for you to serve me. That's the example that I set for you, for you to serve others. But also know that you don't have to serve me. I came down here to give my life up for you. It's so beautiful to think that he actually serves us. And if you, if you are in a place, you're like, okay, so then what is it that I'm supposed to give to God then? How is it that I'm supposed to serve him if he doesn't need me to serve him? I think Hebrews 6, chapter 6, verse 10, it gives us beautiful insight into that. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So if you want to give something to God, God says the, the biggest way that you can bless my heart as your father is to give your life away, to serve others, to help others. That's the work that I remember. What you try to do for me, I don't need that, as we saw in Acts 17 and Mark 10. But he says, but what you can do to serve me is to serve others, to give what I've given to you back away to other people. So helping God's people in love um, and giving of yourself to others is service to God. So if I'm an imitator of him and I want to make the best use of my time, like we saw in verse 17, then I think it's important for us to look at how does God serve? What exactly does that look like for God to serve us? And I think there's a ton of scripture here. There's hundreds of uh, verses I could have thrown up. And at one point, I think I was actually like, I think I was going to try to put up like 25 of them and just like rapid fire on it. But I was like, you know, there, there's really two verses that kind of hone in on the, on the main idea here. Um, Exodus 14, 14. So it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. And what is it that you have to do? Just be still. Can you sense his protection in this moment? Can you sense God leveraging his strength and his ability to make sure that you have what you need to make sure you are protected? If there's a situation that you can't fight, he will actually take up that fight for you. That's a beautiful way to serve. And one of the other verses I picked out out of the hundreds, Isaiah 40, 29, says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So he not only offers support, but he meets our needs in moments of lack. So we have protection from the Father. That's how he serves us. He meets our needs when we're in moments of lack. So he gives strength to us when we're weary. But he also increases our power when we're weak. Isn't that what service of, of another looks like ultimately? Is protecting 
meeting someone's needs, offering support when someone needs it. So you have a resource, you have resources or gifts or acquired skills uh, that only you have, and you might be able to protect someone with the skill set that you have. Or you may be able to provide for someone's needs with the resources you have. Or you may be able to encourage someone with the words you have, but you have so many things to offer. And why would God do this? Why would he serve us this way? I think it's because he loved us first. So if we look at John 3.16, if you did grow up in the church, you're probably familiar with this. But if you didn't, the verse says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave up his only son. But it says, because he loved, he gave. Because he loved the world, he gave up his son. So out of a place of love, he had the ability to give. And that's what really unlocks things. Um, So I'm going to give you guys a a real-world example here. Um, So I'm going to let you guys in on a secret, and I will appreciate if you guys don't tell anybody else. Um, But so I'm actually, like, terrified of public speaking, believe it or not. Um, and so the first time Dan asked me to do this, I was like, and my mind was like, absolutely not. So I literally like stalled for, for like two months. Like Dan was asking me like, not, not this particular one, but when I, when I taught a couple times ago. And um, I just kept stalling. And he was like, hey, so when are you going to meet? I want to talk about some things. I was like, yeah, we can meet. And just kind of, you know, just, I, I, was, I was pretty terrified. And so I was like, I, I don't think I'm cut out for that. I think you got the wrong guy. Like, that's not what I do. Like, I love people. You know, I lead a Bible study. You know, there's, you know, 20 people there. Like, we can do that, but, you know, I, I'm not, not for this. And so finally, like, after we finally caught up and we had the conversation and, and Dan was like, you know, what do you think? Like, you know, are you down? And I knew God was telling me to say yes. So I went ahead and I finally said yes. And um, it was, um, it, it, ultimately, the reason I said yes is because my granny used to always say, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And, you know, she, she always, like, worked out in her garden, and she had, like, a fish that she would feed her fish, and she would clean. And so she, I mean, just, she would just always say that, like, you know, you got to use your muscles, use your tendons, your ligaments, use your body, stay active. Because as soon as you stop using those muscles, like, it's going to go downhill. And so I thought about that, and I was like, okay, I, I know that I do have an ability to communicate things. And if I allow my fear to get in the way, then who knows, like, I might eventually lose it. And I don't want to get to a place where I don't want to look back at my life and be like, man, I really wished I had just done something with that ability to communicate. And so I was like, you know what? When, I, when I'm living in a place of fear, I'm making it about me, and I'm putting myself on the pedestal and thinking that um, it's all about me. And I was like, you know what? I have to agree with who God says I am. And this is something that I do have to give away to the world. And so I need to use it. And so I told Danny yes, even though I was terrified. And um, even when I came up here, I was scared. And even still today, I'm like, all right, here we go. So, but, yeah, stop. <laughs> no, so, um, but really, so really, a great example is Matthew 25. So Jesus gives an example, and he's telling a story. He's telling a parable. There's a landowner, and he has three servants. And so before he leaves out of town, he has, he gives each one bags of money. Now, there's certain translations that actually call those bags of money talents. And I just think that is just like so uh, cool that they're actually called talents just because of, of uh, where we're going with this. 
And so he gives one five, five bags of, of gold or five talents. He gives one three talents, and he gives another servant one talent. And then the landowner leaves. So the one with five, he goes out. He works his talents. He gives them away. He doubles it, and he makes ten. The other one with three goes out, does the same thing, comes back, he makes six. The one with one, however, he went and he sat on it. He actually buried it in the ground. And the landowner comes back and he goes, okay, guys, like, you know, what'd you guys do with the, with the money I gave you? And the one's like, hey, I took the five talents you gave me. I made five more. I got ten. The landowner's like, you're awesome. The guy with three comes. He does the same thing. He's awesome, too. The one with one, the, the landowner's like, okay, like, what'd you do with your one talent? And he's like, I buried it in the ground. And the landowner actually says that what he did was evil. He said that the action was evil. Now, why was it evil? Because I think in the past, I've read this before. I always kind of struggle with, well, why is that evil just because he buried it in the ground? But he literally took the talent that was given to him and he sat on it. He didn't use it for anything. He actually, in his selfishness and in his fear, because when you see when the landowner asked him why he did it, his response was, I know that you're a harsh man and you do all these things. And basically, it was a very fear-based response. And it was a very, um, a, a response based out of unbelief. And so he said, the reason I sat on my talent is because I know what kind of man you are. And so the landowner was actually like, well, what you did is you took your talent and you didn't give it away. You didn't double it. You didn't do anything with it. And you actually limited other things, not only for yourself, but for the people around you by sitting on your talent. And similarly, when God gives us talents and he gives us things to do and he places things inside of us, when we sit on those, it literally, we could be disrupting someone else's life by not giving our life away. There's somebody out there who needs what we have and only we have it and we're not giving it away. And there are people now who are deficient in that thing because we're sitting on that one talent as opposed to taking our, our talent or our three talents or our five talents and going out into the marketplace and doubling what it is that the Lord has given us. So um, I think for those of you who are probably in sales, I think you probably um, can, can see how this works. So if you have a specific skill set and you have something to offer to the marketplace. The marketplace will pay you something in order to provide the marketplace with the skill that only you have or that you do better than your competition. So if you can do something better than everybody else or if you are unique in something that you have to provide, people will come and pay you to do that. And so the more that you serve your client, the more you find out what it is they need and what they want, that gives you the ability to make sure that you serve them and out of service, you actually receive compensation. So it's cool because you actually received a gift or a talent and then you take that talent and you give it away. And in this case to a client and then what you receive back in return is compensation. So there's actually even real world application here that not only can you benefit emotionally and spiritually, but you can also benefit physically and financially as well by giving your life away. When you meet the needs of other people, if you need this candle and I have this candle and I sell it to you, well, now you just got something that you need and I just got something that I needed. But there really is this beautiful relationship between receiving and giving that we really have to um, take a look at. 
So I don't know if you guys remember um, before. So you, at this point, some of you may be thinking like, okay, like that's all great, but how do I actually figure out what my purpose is? How do I actually figure out what it is that I have to offer to the world? I'm not quite sure. Maybe I think I have a piece of it, but I still feel like there's something kind of fuzzy over here. Or maybe you don't have any idea at all. Or maybe you think you know, but maybe it's going to be transformed here in the next week or two as you continue to process everything that we're talking about today. But I think if you are in that place, so for my last talk, I, I talked about work last time I was up here. And I spoke on how God created us to work. Um, but like there was, there was this part of creation and it, the creation story between work and rest that I actually didn't get to touch on. And so if you look in Genesis 128, it actually talks about that man was created to subdue the earth. Subdue meaning that we have dominion over and we work the earth. So that was something that God told man that they were going to do. So he created them on day six, said, I'm going to have you work. But then he invited them into rest on day seven. So he said, come and rest with me. Then in Genesis 2, 15, then he actually tells them, okay, now you're going to start your work. Now you're going to go tend the garden, take care of the animals, and do what it was that I called you to do. So I think it's really cool that God told them they were going to work. But first, before they ever touched the plant, they were invited into rest with God. Before they ever did any work, they were invited to receive from the Father, to receive of his rest, to receive of his goodness, and to just be in a place of stillness with the creator. They were able to sit, and then after day seven, Genesis 2.15, then they got up and they said, okay, now it's time to work. But they had the ability and the energy to work because they had first rested. And we kind of do it the opposite way, right? We work, 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 and then we rest from our work. But the biblical model is that we actually rest in the presence of God first. We receive from him. He fills us up. And then we go and work from that place. So we work from a place of overflow as opposed to resting from a place of emptiness. So Adam was able to find his purpose and rest with his creator, with his creator. in the stillness of the garden. Adam found his life. In the presence of his creator, he found his strength, and he even found his very identity. So if there's anybody out here, if, if you're struggling with trying to figure out what your identity is and who God asked you to be or who God might be calling you to be, I think the first place to start with is just to come to a place of stillness and rest and to just sit with the Father and allow him to fill you up with the things that he created you to be and allow him to speak to you who he created you to be. And here's the most beautiful thing of everything, that man first received before he was ever asked to give. Man was able to receive before he was ever asked to give. You know, I really think that for me, like throughout so much of my life, um, I always thought that I was wired and gifted for one thing. And I think it took a couple of major situations in my life for God to kind of redirect me and get me back on the track that he had for me. But when I came to a place of learning to receive from him, and I'm still learning this, it is still a challenge every day because I'm a person who just goes, 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 goes. 
and I do not make time to be still as much as I should. But I think that God is really inviting us into this place of being able to encounter him in that way. Um, you guys mind if I just take a sit here, if I sit with you guys for a second? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no applause. <laughs> yeah, I just want to sit with you guys. Um, so you guys know how we work in conjunction with plants and kind of like that relationship between humans and plants. There's, um, so when we exhale, we give out carbon dioxide, and when we inhale, we take in oxygen. Well, when we breathe out that carbon dioxide, plants actually take that carbon dioxide in, and then they go through a process that's called photosynthesis, and then they release oxygen, which we breathe in, which gives us energy. So it's a beautiful relationship of give and take, of give and receive, where we give through exhaling, and the plants receive, and then the plants give oxygen, and we receive. But I think it's, um, it's pretty cool because if, if you think about it, what if we only gave? What if I only exhaled? It might look like this. I'm going to show you. At some point, I have to receive, right? I have to take in a breath. I can't just accept. I'm actually, <laughs> I got lightheaded doing that. But at some point, we have to receive, right? We can't just give because that drains us. We have to come back to this place where we also inhale. But then on the other end, what if the plant only were to take in and not to give back? What if the plant only took in carbon dioxide and never gave us oxygen back? We'd be in trouble, right? We need each other. We need both. And not only do we need each other, but we have to receive in order to give. That's really the beautiful part of our purpose is that once we receive, we have the ability to give. And when we give, we receive back more. And it creates this beautiful cycle of life where we find ourselves in this place of receiving and giving, receiving and giving. Our creator loves us so much. He just loves to be in relationship with us. He loves to be in relationship with you. He loves to be in relationship with me. He loves to give to us. And he loves when we receive his goodness. So what's our purpose? receive of the goodness of our Father and then to give that goodness back away to our fellow man. No one was designed like you. There's only one of you and we need you. So in this place, this Communion Sunday and it's just a beautiful time to connect with the Father and so I just want to Really just practice this moment of just being still so that we can receive from the Father. And just take a few moments together in, uh, in community and in corporate worship to just be here and to just, just receive and to take from the Father. To just be still and say, God, what would you have for me to do? 
what's your plan for my life? Can you show me how much you love me? Can you speak to those deep, dark places? Give me the boldness to expose what's in the dark so that I can live in the light. Let's just take a moment to encounter him. Lord, we just thank you so much. You're so good, Father. And we just love you. You give of yourself. And we just receive. We just receive your goodness. We receive your love. We receive your grace. You desire to lead us to a place of rest, God, so that you can fill us up. So we pray that we pray that we would just receive that rest and that we would allow you to fill us up, God. That we would have something to give to the world. And that you would help us identify what it is that we have to give. And that in true humility, we would agree with you and we would walk out of our strengths double down on our strengths and give them away to serve the people around us to serve family members and to serve spouses to serve co-workers and to serve friends to serve those in leadership and to serve kids that we would just give that we would give up everything <coughs> but we know we won't have anything to give we don't first come and receive from you, if we don't sit in this place of stillness and just be.